I encourage every single team to have their own why we give a shit about mental health sort of statement Mm. in the team, not the company, because every team is different in a company, your own little micro ecosystems. Why do you all actually care about this? What is being flexible and giving each other some damn grace look like in this team? What does it look like when you create a culture of understanding, not shaming around mental health? What does it look like when you are bandwagoning and using things as an excuse that invalidate the story of others and why we're not going to do that? You know, there has to be a come to Jesus, very honest conversation about what those values are going to look like in practice, because oftentimes people say, well, this is important. And then people go, I don't know what that looks like. Right. So you got to sit down and actually work it out together. Welcome to the Be It Till You See It podcast, where we talk about taking messy action, knowing that perfect is boring. I'm Leslie Logan, Pilates instructor and fitness business coach. I've trained thousands of people around the world, and the number one thing I see stopping people from achieving anything is self-doubt. My friends, action brings clarity, and it's the antidote to fear. Each week, my guests will bring bold, executable, intrinsic, and targeted steps that you can use to put yourself first and be it till you see it. It's a practice, not a perfect. Let's get started. Hey, be it listener. What's up? Oh my goodness. How is it May that is flying by so fast? Well, my guest for you today is someone that I just had so much fun getting to know and getting on this podcast. Um, I was having a really busy week and I happened to just let my podcast just like rolling through next episode, next episode. And this woman came on and she started talking about something that I was like, oh my God, this has happened to me. And I felt so empowered by her after I heard her speak that I was like, um, yeah, she's got to come on the Pod." So I reached out to her and I invited her on <laughs> and, um, now she's going to be here in your ears in just a second. But let me just tell you something. If you have ever felt guilty or taking care of yourself. If you've ever felt like, oh, maybe I should be taking care of this, or I should be doing this, or I should meet with this person right now. And, or you've ever wondered if people are judging you for taking care of yourself. This episode is for you and do yourself a favor. (laughs) Just start texting this episode to all the people who've ever basically shamed you for taking care of yourself. It's well-being shaming. That's what Melissa Doman, our guest, talks about. She is the author of an incredible book, and I think we all need to read it and listen to it. Um, I'm just so grateful. And the um, if you're watching this on YouTube and you're like, hey, she looks different. Well, the truth is we actually recorded this episode in a really unique way while Brad was in Cambodia. And I want to share the behind the scenes with you because this is really important. So um, I had I had Claire, my slingshot friend, listen to the interview live while I recorded with Melissa. Then Melissa jumped off. Claire jumps on. We do the recap. And I signed off and just never did this intro. So, <laughs> and I totally thought I did. And so here I am <laughs> recording this intro to you a little bit closer to it actually coming out. And 
I kind of like this order of things. So it's okay if you make mistakes. That's the too long, didn't read version of that story. And if you have to change things up because maybe you like it better. I don't know. My team probably is like, what? She's going to record intros late. No, that's a hard no. But my loves, the point is no one's perfect. Perfect is boring. No one wants to be friends with that anyways. And Melissa Doman is here to tell you why you have to take care of yourself, why it is important and do not take any shame for doing that. Here she is. All right, where are my reformer lovers at? I got something for you this June. Okay, so here's the deal. Control bounce off on the reformer and other advanced exercises can really scare the heck out of you if you don't feel like you were born a gymnast or if you just don't feel like you can get upside down. And so I decided to create a week-long program. It's free where we're going to actually break down this exercise to help you find the control balance off that works for you. You'll have an incredible community, daily support of tips, tools, strategies, three live classes, and extra tutorials and classes to support you on this journey in one week to help you go from what the heck is this exercise to somewhere along the lines of getting on and off. Some of you will get all the way off. Some of you will get all the way back on. Somewhere I'll be somewhere in between, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Again, this program is free, the Control Your Balance Challenge. And so sign up at onlinepliesclasses.com slash control. All right, be it listeners, I'm freaking stoked for today's guest. I have Mel Doman, Melissa Doman here today. And one, I, I heard this woman's amazing words about mental health well-being in the workplace. And I was like, we have to talk about this. She is an expert. And because it's May. Uh, when you're listening to this, it is Mental Health Awareness Month, so of course we have to talk about that. But also, I just I know how how much our mental health affects us being it till we see it. So I wanted to bring an expert in here to talk about that. Mel, will you tell everyone who you are and what you rock at? Oh, I've so been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, so I am Melissa Doman. I am an organizational psychologist, former clinical mental health therapist, and author of Yes, You Can talk about mental health at work. Here's why and how to do it really well. So what I do at my core is I help organizations, leaders, and individuals learn how to constructively talk about mental health at work. It's not sunshine and rainbows. It's not dark, deep depths. It's somewhere in between because that is the human condition. And this is not just a well-being thing. It's not just a DEIB thing or accessibility thing. This is a crucial conversational literacy development thing, period. Every person needs some modicum of ability to have these discussions in the world of work going forward, not negotiable. And so I tend to be uh, the spoonful of honesty helps the education go down. I love that. I, I mean, first of all, I love your drive towards this and your passion towards it because Well, thank you. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, obviously for a good reason, but also I do think people do the dance or they have someone come in or they hire someone in HR and they're like, okay, you know, here's this. But we've we we've come a long way when the with the mental health in the workplace and people even talking about mental health with their friends and family. And we also have yeah. so much more to oh, go. Oh yeah. <laughs> So. And the, th- the thing is, we're trending in the right direction. You know, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of people who came before me laid the groundwork for this to even be possible. And so, you know, I tend to joke that I went from the back end job of being the clinical therapist to the front end job of being the organizational psychologist who's trying to help people share their toys better in the workplace. <laughs> because make, them, make no mistake, the workplace is just 
you know, a playground, but we're all older and have different toys and there isn't a jungle gym. It just happens to be who gets to CEO. So it's so a lot of folks are trying to do what they can, when they can with what they have, but it, it has to be done differently. And so I do all of my talks with companies or trainings or, or any of that very much steeped in reality. Because if you're not setting people up for the challenges of these sorts of conversations or what to do if it goes wrong or changing the language you use, the mindset you use, you're just setting them up for failure. Right. So it has to be led with purpose and intention as opposed to we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. And most people are like, where do I put my hands? I don't know what to do. <laughs> right. right. They're like, so, I don't know where to, where do I start? What's the starting point? And then right. also like, exactly. I'm sure you, I'm sure a lot of people are afraid to get it wrong because, and yes. and like, we're going to get it wrong. I was just listening, re-listening to Brene Brown's dare to lead. And she says, you're going to screw up 3,571 yes. times trying to be empathetic. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I, I have shit the bed more times than I can count, but I had to do that to get to where I am now. Yeah. And so it's a slow burn. It's not like the matrix where you can plug the skill set into the back of your head overnight. Although I'm sure people in biotech are working on that, Right. but it's going to take practice and it's going to take mistakes. And there are literal scripts. I'm not playing literal scripts in my book here's what to say. Here's what not to say. Here's why to say and not say those things. Yeah. And it's, it's learning a new language really. Yeah. So, okay. I want to, I want to definitely talk about workplace. And I also want to talk about, cause we have a lot of people who even work for themselves. So they are their own everything. <laughs> They're having yes. all. And so what, um, what are you seeing like far as like shaming goes when people are like trying to give themselves well-being, like I'm trying to like trying to give themselves balance and then they kind of like, you know, get in their own way of doing that. And what are some signs that they're on the right track? So there's a concept that I I wrote about in the book called well-being shaming. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I love talking about this is it happens all the time, even now, and people just didn't know what to call it. So for example, we'll say in the before time that if you didn't want to stay till eight o'clock in the office and you tried to leave at five to have some sort of semblance of integration of not living at work. And someone might say something like, oh, must be nice to leave at five o'clock or oh, must be nice to go for a run on the lunch hour. I wish I had your easy schedule. You know what that is? Number one, that's people being just total buttheads. Yeah. And number two. It's just them holding up the status quo or they're secretly jealous and they they feel envious that you're doing something that they can't or they're too scared to do, or they really genuinely believe that you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And so that sort of well-being shaming is unconscionably wrong, especially now. And that shit still happens, by the way, despite the fact that there's a pandemic and mental health is in the front and center of most conversations. So the response that I always tell people to tell folks like that who are discouraging you from engaging in healthy, reasonable practices to manage your emotional well-being is as simple as this. Doing things to manage my mental health is a healthy adult practice. Can you help me understand why you don't agree? Ooh, I love this. What are they going to say? Right. What are they going to (laughs) say? Right. And also like, 
First, they might be saying it because someone said it to them and that's the workplace they grew up they're in. They're paying and, it forward. Yeah. And so they're just making sure we all got to be in, we all got to stand this line. This is the line. <laughs> this is the so playground yeah. I played in. Um, but also like whether you're in a workplace or, you know, family <laughs> must be nice that, you know, I definitely get that a lot from some family members. And I, and I, I know it's not a personal attack. I know it's them, not me. And it's I, it's their stuff. It's their yeah. stuff, but it is like, yeah. Okay. Um, you don't have the weight of 25 people's payrolls on your brain, on your mind every day. These, this is what I, this is what it takes for me to, to show up every day so that I can mm-hmm. be the best version of myself to pay them. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I think like that is a great, um, everyone it's in the show notes, write that down, copy and paste it. You can put it in text messages. You can, <laughs> her response is genius yes. because we also, they're never going to stop unless someone brings it to their attention that what they're doing is, you know, and, and and notice you're not even being defensive. You're, you're making a statement and asking a question, Mm -hmm. doing things to manage my mental health is a healthy adult practice. Can you help me understand why you don't agree? Yeah. That's it. And so I always tell people, please tell me how far they, their mouths drop to the floor because they just, what can you say to that? And it so, might, it might be exact. I mean, if, if they are someone who's never had this brought to their attention that they can even ask for, <clears throat> for exactly. things that support their mental health, it's going to help them see that. And if they are exactly. someone who's been told this many times, <laughs> they need to hear it more. <laughs> they need to hear it. 17 to 21 touch points is how much it takes these days. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, okay. Um, when people are People listening to this are maybe thinking, okay, Melissa, I, I love this. I, I want to actually leave work at this time and I don't want to feel bad about it. How do they have this conversation with a coworker or the, or the gatekeeper yeah. that, that, that stands in their way? You know, how do they explain so, this to them? So the challenging thing is that each workplace and even each team has their own set of kind of written and unwritten rules, so to speak. So this really depends not even on the company or the division, but the team. Mm. So you have to take this information and adapt it realistically based on the situation you're in. There's no one size fits all. And so even now with the fact that lots of folks are doing hybrid working or they're doing you know full-time remote, some organizations are forcing people to go back in the office full-time, which is a whole nother kettle of fish. And um, the thing is that It's about understanding that people have different levels of needs. People have different ways of working, different ways that energize how they work. And so it's not enough to say to someone, you know, I have to stop at five every day. There has to be, these are the reasons that I want to work this way. And this is how it's going to help me to feel good and to do good work. And so if you're going to share these sorts of things, people are not mind readers. No offense to people who believe in psychics, but I don't want to shit on anyone's beliefs. So people don't know what you need unless you tell them. Yeah. Seriously. People don't know the type of help you need unless you tell them. People don't know what you want them to do with the information you share unless you tell them. They will fill in the blanks if you don't. Yeah. So if you need to say to a colleague, you know, I'm really trying not to be tethered to my email 24 seven, you know, I'm going to start putting my working hours in my email signature and I'm going to try to, to honor that. And I'm going to ask that other people do as well. People do that now where they write their working hours in their signature 
and say, I respond, you know, in these hours, if that doesn't work for you, don't feel pressured to reply. And really just putting that boundary out there and the reasonable ones, by the way. And so if it's to a manager who is like a horse blinders on and they, they wear their stress, like a badge of honor, you guys might have different expectations and needs. So it's not about pulling each other to the other side, because when has that ever worked well with the human condition? The answer is never. And so just being clear about what the needs are, what the boundaries are, and being very clear about the why. And also that it's not going to negatively impact because you do have a responsibility in a job. So just make it so clear that there is no room for confusion. And ask yourself if you're, you're... your requests are reasonable. You know, if your whole team works, you know, let's say I'm just making up a number nine hours a day and you say you want to work six hours a day, that that may not be seen as reasonable unless there are ways that you can make that up or there has to be some sort of logic behind it, not just because you want it. Yeah. Right. Because it may be pragmatic. It may be that, that you may also just need to switch jobs then if like if you really only can work six hours and the the agreed upon work schedule was nine hours and that's not you and that's okay too that's also like it's also goes both ways you don't want to be shamed for your well-being but we also have to understand that like there's other expectations too right yeah and i want to make it so clear and i have lost track the number of times i've said this you leaving a job or even leaving an industry because it doesn't feel right for you anymore is not quitting. You're not giving up or any other ridiculous synonym that you might be thinking about. That's you making an emotionally intelligent decision and disengaging from something that doesn't work for you anymore. Yeah. It's really that simple. Yeah. That's so key. That's, um, and I, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, let's say I don't really go into many workplaces or like I, I go into a studio and I leave, I feel like you can use all of this like around your family with your kids. You can say, hey, I would really love to play with you. I'm going to have to wait until this time. And here's why. <laughs> now, they're I children, so, so good luck. But like, you, what if you yeah, taught them that? Communicating with parents and siblings is like that too, regardless <laughs> of age. Come on. I, I have to be so clear with my parents when I'm like, I don't need you to fix this for me. I just need you to listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just ignore it anyway. Well, what about this? It's like, <laughs> oh my God. So, okay. So let's say, let's like, let's tie into like people not listening or, um, you know, the, the well-being. Um, wh- like when it comes to you know, our mental health well-being, first of all, it does require us to have some idea of what it is that our needs are. So yes. what are, what are, do you have tools or tips that you maybe have this in your book that you tell people like, do these things so that you can figure out what you need at your workplace or do these things you can figure out what you need in life? Yeah. There is in fact an entire chapter dedicated to that. Really cool. So, uh, <laughs> it's basically an entire chapter just explaining not only how to talk about your own mental health at work, but all the pre-work that you need to do. So there's a lot of self-assessment that needs to go on first before you even do that, because oftentimes people are driven to this point of desperation where they need to talk about it, but because they get to that boiling point, they just word vomit all over other people. And then when people are like, well, I don't know what you want me to, to do, or they respond the wrong way. And that's not through any fault of their own, 
a lot of people are conditioned to do that, that we hold it in until we go pop. Yeah. So the nice thing about, and again, this is super practical, step-by-step, very, you know, personalizable, where you got to ask yourself, what are your concerns about talking about this at work? Is this your stuff? Is this an environment that you've witnessed in your organization? If you have concerns, where do those come from? And be very clear about that. If you feel unsafe talking to your manager, is that you think because you have bad past experiences with other managers or is your manager an asshole? Yeah. You know, there's so many questions you got to ask, you know, where do these feelings come from? And then what do I want to share? Who do I want to share it with? Why do I want to share it? What do I want them to do with that information? Mm, that's a good question. These are the questions. Because a lot of times, like it feels like what I'm seeing is like hundred percent of the onus is on the listener. That's some bullshit. People need to also take some responsibility in how they pipe up and ask for help. Yeah. And people don't know what you need unless you tell them. Yeah. And so it has to be both ways. I really love that it's, it's a both ways thing because I, I do know that like, I've been someone who like waits until it's like a boiling point, but then it's like, well, now what do I want them to do with it? And how do we keep? And you're so activated that you you don't even know the answer. You don't know it, and so I think like it it does come to a point where like we have to have some enough self awareness on a daily basis to understand like where am I at today, so that how how am I receiving this, and how what do I want people to do with it before it becomes a point where you can't even you can't even know where to go. Yeah, right. Because when you when you get in that state, I'm just gonna nerd out for a minute if that's okay. Yeah. When you get in that state and your body and brain are going into survival mode, your prefrontal cortex that makes us uniquely human, it's our personality, conscience, logic, all those adult words, that basically shuts off. So the other parts of your brain that are more geared towards survival, like the amygdala, like the fight, flight, freeze response and all that stuff is all jacked up and pumping you full of adrenaline and cortisol. So when you're having those feelings or even if you're in like a depressive episode or you've been traumatized or whatever it is, your ability to place a logic filter on those things is heavily diminished. So it's better to try and get a sense of what is that I actually need to ask for when you're not in that state? Because when you get in that state, it's really damn hard. And that's not your fault. Your brain is like, we can't handle that right now. Shut up. We're trying to just keep you alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's literally what it is. Like the two parts of the brain are like, fuck you. No, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> like, we don't have time for this. You waited too long. You didn't. The yeah, alarm didn't this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> like, oh, happens. my God. I just pictured the brain. I feel like a cartoon's there. You know, what I do also think is really important about this, I hope everyone's hearing is like, you may end up going to work and <laughs> telling your, <laughs> I love it. I might have a plushy brain. It's just a plushy brain. You, this is why you have to watch the YouTube channel. Everyone We got a plushy brain. <laughs> um, um, but we, if we don't do this, so let's say you, you, if you do this and you go and tell your boss and your boss is like, whatever, I'm not here for the mental health. We did a meeting and that's all we're doing here. We're just checking Plenty the box. Of those people still exist by yeah, the way. And they do. And but if you don't do this, then whenever, whether or not you leave that, whatever or not you think that boss is actually going to be receptive or not, you're still taking you with you wherever you go. And you're just going to yeah. repeat the same. You could have a boss that actually talks about mental health. But if you aren't practicing with that 
barometer feels like for you, you're going to, you're going to miss the opportunity to have the good boss who's going to listen. Right. And, and the thing is, and I want to be very clear, there are a whole variety of reasons why managers do or don't talk about mental health. We cannot assume there are, keep in mind, you know, leaders are fallible creatures like the rest of us. They're humans first, they have a job second. So give them just like a teeny bit of grace. And so there are a whole host of reasons that they may or may not talk about it. It doesn't make it right, but it could be a bit of, they, they don't know how to start or they screwed it up in the past or they're very old school. And that's just not something you talk about at work. And so there are lots of reasons for that to occur. So the only thing you really can do is not only to, you know, self-organize those questions I was talking about, but if it's really something they avoid, try to understand why, you know, not in like an accusatory way, but like, I notice you, you really seem like you don't want to talk about this. I don't want to assume the reason. Can you, can you tell me? And so I distinctly remember, and I will never forget, keep in mind, I used to work in corporate as well. I was also equally tortured by managers that I described as emotionally constipated. <laughs> and I've been with us. I'll never, <laughs> oh my goodness, putting it mildly. So I will never forget one manager in particular where it was very clear that this person practiced favorites in the team and was like just not a psychologically safe leader. I didn't make the favorite list. So I was treated as such. And it even got to the point where this manager was trying to kind of sabotage me sometimes and some of the stuff I was doing in the business. And one time I I don't hide my emotions. So this person noticed on my face that I didn't look pleased. And they said, are you okay? I said, nope. They said, you want to talk about it? I said, yeah. So after months of being terrified of this person, because make no mistake, they were absolutely a bully. And there were other people that this person bullied. And I sat down and the first thing I said was, and this is true, you negatively impact my mental health at and outside of work, to which they said, well, what's your proof? Hmm. That's an interesting response. That, that's a really mm-hmm. weird response. What's your proof? Oh, very, very like sociopathic if you ask me, but I don't want to like clinicalize this. <laughs> and I just laid it out. And because that person was not willing to give me what I needed, the only other choice was to draw a boundary that I was not willing to accept that behavior anymore. Yeah. So you may not be able to give me what I need, but you are sure as fuck not going to abuse me this way anymore. Yeah. And so once I was had the the um, strength to stand up to this person, uh, the the overt abuse stopped. Um, but some some managers cannot give you and won't give you what you need because they don't even know how to do it for themselves, or there could be right. a whole host of other reasons. But you are a chronologically aged adult and need to act as such. Yeah. First, I think it's like it took it took so much courage and like probably a boiling point to get you to to do what you did. But I also I think um, yeah. I'm, I probably would have been like shaking in my pants trying to do it. I know every time I saw myself, I was, I had nightmares about this person. Yeah. So. But let's talk about that because I, I feel like, I feel like that's a being raised as a woman in, and, and I don't, I don't know that, um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe even people identify as males have a similar problem, like staying up to a boss. But like, I know 
every time I had an abusive boss where I felt like, oh, we got to be here. Mm-hmm. I actually need to work through my breaks. I need to do this because that's what everyone's doing. It, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I remember thinking I can't say I don't want to do this or I, you know, I, I just felt like as a, as a, as a woman, I had the hard time of like standing up for myself. Am I, is that, is it a gender thing or is it goes across the board? So that's a very valid question. And the answer is kind of all of the above. So there's so many factors that go into that. So obviously there is the gender piece. And on top of that, there's also culture of origin, family of origin, religion. There are lots of things that influence Mm. our belief as to whether we can or should stand up for ourselves. But in, you know, when we're talking about gender, you know, historically people who identify as female were taught to be more relational, to not be boundary setting, to be more flexible, to be more accommodating. What that's really code for is just people being allowed to step all over you without being sorry. Yeah. And on top of that, what I also noticed with lots of like super boss bitches who I have like the biggest respect for is when they do put those boundaries down or they do say their opinions, they follow it with a sorry. Yeah. And I just did this a few days ago to a, a chief level person who was um, one of my clients. And she kept saying, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I said, excuse me, ma'am, you need to stop apologizing. What do you have to apologize for? Mm. And she goes, I know it's a problem. And I was like, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Yeah. I know how to recognize. You got to stop saying sorry. Yeah. Like you've nothing to be sorry for. And so, but also there's lots of men who, who struggle with that too. And sometimes you can have, you know, introversion that can also be a factor or conflict styles that can also be a factor depending on how your conflict relationship was with primary caregivers or past relationships. There are lots of things that can shape our self-permission and how we talk about these things. But when we're talking specifically about gender, women still in many, many circles are taught that being clear and assertive and decisive and boundary setting makes you a bitch yeah, or makes you difficult or whatever other ridiculous synonym. And there are some women who mask their aggression as those other things, as an excuse. And we can be honest that those people exist, but generally speaking, that's not the case. Yeah. So it's really, again, um, when it comes to that boundary setting and, and stuff like that, again, tying it back to mental health, especially as a female leader in the business, because they still get shit. It's, if they're like, well, like, can you stop being so emotional or whatever ridiculous thing that, that someone would say, like, you're a leader now, you need to keep it together. Oh my God, I can't. <laughs> I have two words, Jacinda Ardern. That's it. I have nothing else to say. Like, she's the best. Yeah. And then it, and then it becomes talking about and managing my mental health is a healthy adult practice and something good that a leader can and should do regardless of gender. Well, I feel like that's a um, a really amazing thing we can all think about with mental health. It's like a lot of people. There's a lot of things to think about Mental Health Awareness Month and and all and everything. I think it's amazing that people are are 
like a love that my father talks about. He's 70 years old. You know, like Aww. he's reading what happened to you. And he, you Aww. know, like, I know it's really great. He's, um, I'm really, he's like, oh, maybe that's what's wrong with me. My mother never held me. And I'm like, I'm just learning oh. about this now. You were never held. Well, that makes a lot of sense, <laughs> you oh. know, but like on the other side of this is a, whether you're a leader or an employee in a business, what I'm the through line I'm hearing is like, A, you have to actually look into your own mental health first. You actually have to talk about your own well-being. There can be no well-being shaming of yourself. So that when you go right. into a workplace, now you can have an absolute bigger conversation. You can either be the the teacher that needs to be in the team, or if you are the leader, you can actually start to talk to your team about, hey, in this team, we work we we work on a we work with mental health and I want to make sure we're, we're mental health well-being. I want to make sure that your work schedule is working for you as best as the company can allow it to work for it. Like we there's got to be a compromise. But I feel like it has right. to come from the person first so it can go to the team. It it does. And on top of that, you know, I and there's an exercise for this in the book as well. I encourage every single team to have their own why we give a shit about mental health sort of statement mm. in the team, not the company, because every team is different in a company, your own little micro ecosystems. Why do you all actually care about this? What is being flexible and giving each other some damn grace look like in this team? What does it look like when you create a culture of understanding, not shaming around mental health? What does it look like when you are bandwagoning and using things as an excuse that invalidate the story of others and why we're not going to do that. You know, there has to be a come to Jesus, very honest conversation about what those values are going to look like in practice, because oftentimes people say, well, this is important. And then people go, I don't know what that looks like. Right. So you got to sit down and actually work it out together. It yeah. doesn't have to hurt. <laughs> Okay. No, it doesn't have to hurt. And it, <laughs> and I, and it keeps coming back to like, you said the questions already, but also like, why, what this why? looks like, why, like and, yes. and whether you're having a conversation with a coworker or a family member or yourself, <laughs> here's what I believe. Here's what I need. And this is why I need it. And this, like, here's what we believe as a team. This is what it looks like. And this is right. why we believe it. And going even further than that, you know, Sometimes your colleague or your manager is not the best person to help you. You have to keep in mind, they're not your therapist. They're not your psychiatrist. They're not your doctor. They ain't your mama. Mm -hmm. So sometimes there are certain things that your colleagues or your boss can and should help you with and just be decent human beings. And sometimes they're not the best people to help you and you can't hold them responsible to be. Right. Sometimes it needs to be talking to a therapist, calling the EAP, speaking to HR, talking to your partner. And for example, when I was in clinical practice, if someone came to see me that what they were struggling with was really not in my wheelhouse, it was unethical and ineffective for me to keep treating them. So I connect them to somebody who can help them better than I can. So it's about understanding sometimes, you know, the folks in, in the workplace should be the ones to, to connect and support and sometimes not. Well, and sometimes it's like you figure that out with your therapist, your partner, somebody, and then you go to the boss. Your, yeah, like the and boss then I feel like I I can't be the one to help. You're the people who can. Yeah, yeah, and then and then you can and then therefore you can actually work it out and you can figure out what you need and then you can say, hey, here's what I need and here's how it helps the team or here's how it helps the business or here's how it's going to help you. What compromise can we make so that my mental health right. can have some? It's you know I do think like we 
I would love for every leader out there, including myself, to be, you know, the most amazing at supporting mental health. But we're, you said it already, we're not mind readers. We're also human beings. No. <laughs> There's responsibilities on everybody. So if, if we go with right. it, that everyone's doing the best they can. We all know that there are some people who could do better, but if they're doing the best they can and they're still not meeting your needs. You have to say something because they can't know and they probably want to help you if they can. And also there's not one way that, that one person can meet all of those needs. I mean, it's just some people can't, can't and won't give you what you need. And so you have to be prepared to take action of what, how am I going to manage my own mental health? How am I going to manage the circumstance? How am I going to manage my expectations and my needs? Who can meet these for me and who can't? And because anything short of that is just a waste of time. Seriously. And so being ready to, to take action because no one is responsible for managing your mental health except for you. The organization and your leader are responsible to have a duty of care and create a psychologically and physiologically safe environment for you to work. But then you need to carry the baton in terms of managing your own mental health and you can't hold anybody else responsible. If they're terrorizing you or bullying you or not giving you any sort of recognition or any way of meeting your needs, a conversation can happen in terms of how that's impacting you because people are oftentimes not even aware of how they impact others. But once you have that conversation, you're still responsible for how you take action to manage things, whether that's staying at that company with that person or not. Right. It's like if you say you want X boundary, but then you keep letting people push into that boundary or abuse that boundary. You can't, it's like, or if you, they don't care, they don't care. Like yeah. you still have to stand up for the boundary. Like, Hey, remember I said, this is, and you agreed. And now you're crossing the line. If you're not going to be able to do that, then it might not be the right place for you. Or you might have to figure out and another okay. way to uphold that boundary, you know? And like, yeah. it's hard. It's, it's not easy to pull boundaries. That's for sure. Yeah. But that is it's very uncomfortable. A, very uncomfortable. Especially, <laughs> well, very people also don't like when you put down boundaries. People like to to do what they want when they want. Yeah, but there's also like I I do believe too that some people do want to know how to love, respect, and work with you. Yes, and you know if they knew that every time they emailed you at five o'clock, it was actually upsetting you when they were really just emailing you because they're about to leave. They weren't expecting a response from you. Like, wouldn't that be a great conversation to have? It's like, hey, you email me Absolutely. every day at five o'clock and it, dr- it stresses me out. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just have it. I'll have it boomerang to come at 6 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> like, when do you want the right. email to come? Yeah. And the thing is that intention versus impact can be miles apart. Mm-hmm. And people are very creative at putting in the reasons why you did or didn't do or say something. So that is why I am just all about crystal clear clarity mm-hmm. about intention. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great, that's so great. Oh my gosh. We could keep talking obviously forever because so <laughs> I, I love you and I love what you're talking about because <laughs> it's well, and it's so honest, you know, like we're not, this is not a sugar coated, like let's talk about mental no. health. It's like to have very good mental health well-being, you have to know what you want you have to state what you want, why you need it. And then you have to be intentional about it. <laughs> you have to, you know, mm-hmm. and like we all, if we all are doing it for ourselves, it's so much easier to have that and hold that space for others. Um, and so you can inspire other people to do it for themselves if you're doing it for you too. And the thing is, you know, human beings are naturally social creatures. 
we naturally lean on each other. We want to have that sense of belonging and safety and security. That is a natural human thing. It also needs to be balanced with taking some individual responsibility that doesn't make you selfish. It doesn't mean that you're being totally isolationist and not allowed to to lean on other people. You need both. And so that's why, while I deeply appreciate all of the advocates and activists who've come before me say, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. But then there's no practical implementation to enable people with the skill set to do so based in the reality that we all exist, not the hashtagable one that's yeah. created on social media. So I am a, um, I sometimes feel like I'm a cold splash of water to the face and a hot poker up the ass for some people, <laughs> but it seems to work because they keep wanting me to talk about it. So yeah, well, I also think people just appreciate honesty you know, like clear, kind and being honest because it is refreshing, <laughs> even if it is a well, poker. thank you. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> well, we are going to take a quick break and then I want people to find out where they can get your book and talk more about mental health, well-being at the workplace with you. Maybe listeners, I am here to talk to you about Foster Care Awareness Month. It is this May and you may have remembered our guest, Barely Canadian, several episodes back and their mission to help educate people around foster care in their area and also help support foster care charities. They also have a fosterpreneur program that they're starting this summer at UCLA. And so if you are wanting to support those in foster care, check out Barely Canadian, check out the two charities that they already support and also get yourself some awesome summer sweaters and know that they are donating part of every single profit goes towards these charities to help support foster care youth. So Take a look. It's May. It's Foster Care Awareness Month. And we hope that you are able to get yourself a summer sweater and support those in foster care at the same time. Okay, Melissa, where do you, um, where, where can people find your book? Where can people talk to you more? Where can they hear more about how to implement this and take care of their mental health and well-being? So if you want someone to come in to be a sweet, swift kick in the ass to your organization to have a better understanding of what mental health and mental illness actually are and how to talk about it really well and constructively. Don't be a stranger. Reach out to me on my website, melissadoman.com. You can also add me on LinkedIn. Uh, My book is available. You can either get to it through my website or it's also available on Amazon. And uh, my Instagram handle is thewanderingmel. And my Twitter handle is Melissa Doman LLC. Don't hesitate to reach out if I can help your company. And uh, as a reminder, the name of the book is Yes, You Can Talk About Mental Health at Work. Here's why and how to do it really well. I love this. I really am so excited because so many people that listen to this do work somewhere. <laughs> they don't just work for themselves. Yes. They work for some somewhere. And, and you know, I do believe that sometimes the thing that holds us back from the next thing we're going to do is the energy zapping, mental health draining thing that's happening at the workplace. And so if that can be a a better source of love and support, then it's easier for you to do the thing that you're here on this planet to do. Before I let you go, um, we have, we ask everyone, be it action items, bold, executable, targeted, or intrinsic things people can do so they can be it till they see it. So what do you have for us as far as mental health goes, as far as be it steps? So I'm obviously very happy that you folks tuned in to hear me yak at at Leslie for an hour. hour. (laughs) What I would really prefer is you did something to action this education, whatever that looks like. 
if that means reading the book, if that means trying to learn more about mental illness, if that means sharing about your own mental health with your boss or supporting a colleague that you know has been struggling, please take action immediately because it is a damn mess out there. And there is no reason that you cannot take concrete practical steps to show authentic care to yourself or someone else. And mental health at work is never going away. So it's your choice about when you want to take part in that journey. And please, please take the steps to develop this conversational literacy, whatever resource that is, and do not sit on this education because education without action is a big fat waste of time. Yeah. Well, um, when this one woman I listened to, she says, um, information without integration is constipation. So <laughs> ah, that's so much better. Isn't that great? I love that one. So anyways, well, oh, gosh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you um, really for just, you know, educating us in so many ways and also allowing people to go, yes, that's exactly how I wanted to be at work. I mean, like, I'm sure a lot of people are like nodding their head along with you. Like this would be amazing. So a lot of people feel seen y'all. How are you going to take action? How are you going to take action towards supporting your or other people's mental health at work in your life, do us a favor, screenshot this tag, the wandering mail tag, be it pod and let us know your takeaways. And if you're like, Leslie, I don't even share things on my Instagram. It's private. Then text this to a friend, a colleague, your boss <laughs> say, Hey, this would be really amazing so that they can hear, um, the amazing tips that you just heard today. And also we can help others be it till you see it. this episode of the be it till you see it podcast one thing that would help both myself and future listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a review and follow or subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcast also make sure to introduce yourself over at the be it pod on instagram i would love to know more about you share this episode with whoever you think needs to hear it help us and others be it till you see it have an awesome day Be It Till You See It is a production of As The Crows Fly Media. It's written, produced, filmed, and recorded by your host, Leslie Logan, and me, Brad Kroll. Our associate producer is Amanda Fratarelli. Kevin Perez at Desenio handles all of our audio editing. Our theme music is by Ali at Apex Production Music. And our branding by designer and artist, Gianfranco Chofi. Special thanks to our designer, Jaira Mandal, for creating all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast, and our digital producer, Jay Pedroso, for editing all the video each week so you can. And to Angelina Herrico for transcribing each of our episodes so you can find them on our website. And finally, to Meredith Kroll for keeping us all on point and on time. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. 
Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.